Walking through the forest with you has been a dream Seeing all the beauty in this world Every bird and squirrel Climbing trees and laughing Throwing rocks in the stream But there's so much more we could do, girl Shoot up heroin and walk out in the sunshine Because happiness and sunbeams make me smile Run through the meadow twirling Having such a good time And I haven't cooked a spoonful Why, hello, and welcome to Cast and Wax. My name is Jordan D. White, and I am your host of this podcast. It's been so long since I've said the words, we have a jam-packed show. But you know what? We have a jam-packed show. Lots and lots of cool stuff to show. Uh, show? Orally show, I suppose, this episode. So let's get right into it. Um, I've got some co-hosts here with me, and I better introduce them before I start playing the ukulele and forget that they exist. Uh, this is Mr. Frank Allen right over here. Hello, Jordan, and thank you for introducing me. Uh, please don't start playing the ukulele. No, I'm, d- but I'm gonna, you know I'm gonna play it at some point during the show, so I'm just mentioning it, you know, giving it a, so it doesn't just appear out of nowhere. No, I'm just, but does it even have to appear is what I'm saying. Why, why can't you just put it aside until the end of the show? Because I want to, it's, I love it, and it's beautiful. Look, I don't think that there's a problem. Well, okay. Anyway, I'm Frank Allen. I'm a host of a, a good portion of the show, so uh, hopefully you will all uh, enjoy my segments. Well, just segment. You have one segment. Well, I have one segment on the show, yeah. Right. And over next to him is Mr. Rory Sinjin. Hello, Rory. How are you today? I'm doing quite well, Jordan. Thank you for asking. I'm Rory Sinjin. As he said, I am an extra historian. I do extra historical studies, which means I look into alternate realities and see how alternate history is occurring as we speak. Because there is alternate history right now occurring, again, as I said, as we speak, in all other realities. And sometimes they're the same, but sometimes they're different, and sometimes they're better, and sometimes they're worse. So if you'd like to know about your extra historical self, please give me a call or email me at castandwax.gmail.com. I'd be happy to give you a, a extra historical reading for a good price, I, I assure you. Wow, that was, the, that was the full pitch. You did the full pitch today. Well, I guess, I, you know, there's no reason not to, to try to tell people about the service that they can get. No, I know, it's just, it's been a while since you've done, like, the full-on, hey, everybody, here's what I'm going to offer you, etc. Well, you know, I haven't needed to, but here I am again, and I think it's time to, you know, pay the bills and things like that, so please give me a, a, a line, drop me a line, so to speak. Right, uh, drop me a line. So, uh, what do we have in this show today? Um, well, we've got an episode of Decker and Hayes, we've got an episode of Tract or Fiction, and we have what is usually Scapey stories from a cat in the dark but my cat scape who is the fourth co-host of the show uh is he's grounded he was a real big jerk to everybody involved so he is grounded for the month of june we're very close to the end of the month of june at this point so obviously he'll be back on the next episode more than likely so i look forward to that and i hope all of you do as well We'll see what he thinks of uh, of us doing the podcast without him, especially what he thinks of us doing Scapey stories without him, as you'll see later today. Uh, but first, we have a segment that Scapey started called How Good is Scapey? How good is Scapey? Yeah. How good is Scapey? Yeah. Frank Allen and Rory are gonna tell me right now, now, now. You're just keeping the segment in order to have the song. 
aren't you? The song, you mean, how good is Scapey, yeah, how good is Scapey, yeah, I'm waiting for Frank Allen now to tell me, so tell me now, 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 um, eh, so-so. All right, all right, good answer, good answer. And Rory, would you like to tell me, how good is Scapey, yeah, how good is Scapey, yeah, Rory Sinjin, will you tell me right now, now, now? Well, he he's adequate sometimes, and other times he's more, more, less adequate. More or less adequate? Well, just less adequate, how about that, at other times. Ooh, tough call, guys, tough call. I'm gonna go with Frank. You're right, eh, so-so is about, is about how good he is. Ta-da! That's how good Scape is. That segment's a lot shorter than it was when Scape was on the show. Well, like I said, we've got a jam-packed show. We've got, uh, I mean, those shows are all pretty long tonight, so um, that's why we got to get right to them. Right to them. In fact, you know what? I've had enough of this waiting around. Let's get right to them. When I say right to them, I mean it. Oh, I guess you do. You were going to start them right now. Yeah, that's what right to them means. Wh- why would we delay any further than we have to? This is this is as far as we need to delay. Let's just go right into the shows right at this point. Why would we, again, why hold them up any farther than we have to? There's no reason to. You're absolutely right. I mean, let's Especially if it's a jam-packed show. Of course, yes. If it's a jam-packed show, we should begin them now. Yes. So, no reason to stop them. Um, what, what do we have up first? Decker and Hayes, right? Yeah. So, let's just start Decker and Hayes. Because really, if, if we have a jam-packed show, again, we don't want to cut things out of the show. You know, we don't want to say, all right, we're going to do less of a later show. Oh, no, I would never do that. No, of course not. Of course not. But, but we wouldn't want to do that if you, if you were going to do that. No, no, absolutely we wouldn't. I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying. No, that's why we're just going to, we're just going to get right to it. I mean, there's no reason to delay it. It's just, you know, we've, we've done all the introductory stuff. We've introduced Frank. You introduced Rory. You introduced yourself as well, of course. We even did the scapey thing, which we didn't have to do. No, there really isn't any reason to do it. Well, except Jordan likes to play the song. I do, I do. It's just how good is scapey, yeah. How good is scapey, yeah. I don't know how good he is until you tell me right then, then, then. Well, yeah, he does like playing the song, yes. But other than that, there's really no reason to hold things up any further, is what I'm saying. So if we have got Decker and Hayes on the line... Well, on the line, you make it sound like they've called. No, no, I don't mean that they've called, but I mean if we've got them ready to play. Which we do, of course. Then we might as well just play them, because there's really... There's nothing that requires them to be not played yet. No, not at all. Although we haven't really done the summary yet. Oh, that's true. We haven't done the summary, have we? No, no, we haven't. Well, let's remind people of what is going on in the show at this point. There's a woman named Decca and a woman named Hayes. And they're lovers. They're, they're lesbian lovers. And they're detectives. Don't forget that they're detectives. And um, uh, over the course of the series so far, uh, Stella Decker has been put in a wheelchair. She can't walk. Right. And has also become the the head of a crime uh, uh, syndicate in the, in the town, a prostitution ring and brothel, basically. Yeah, it used to be run by Mama Wang, but she left it to Stella. And Macy of course, has, has, is very livid about this. She doesn't really like that Stella is in charge of a prostitution ring. Correct. And they've been hired by the mayor to investigate a, a, a note that's come to him from the widow. Yeah, she sent him a dead cat and said that her, kill her daughter, I think, right? But he doesn't have a daughter is the problem. No, that is that is what they're dealing with, yes. So then we, now we summarize it. There's really nothing holding us back from just playing it right now. No, not at all. I mean, there's really, again, there's nothing holding us back. There's no reason not to play it right now. There's no reason that it doesn't start right as I say this. No reason whatsoever. It's, it, it, it would be very useful, in fact, for it to start right now because then we would have less of the show later than we would have sooner. I agree. I mean, I agree. Um... What were we talking about again? Decker and, Decker Hayes, and Hayes happening Hayes. right now. Right. Oh, let's let's get right to it then. Here we go. Decker and Hayes.
Decker and Hayes, Season 3, Episode 3, The Darker Path, by Lynn Nelson. Stella Decker let out a frustrated sigh and spoke into the receiver of her office phone. I've killed a lot of people, Macy. What makes this guy so different? Stella Decker and Macy Hayes have been partners in detecting crime for what seemed like forever. In a place like Parlor Town, crime was practically a phone call away. A recent case had left a bullet in Stella's spine, turning this former gang member into a lame duck. Now Stella battled with her handicap, and the girls struggled to keep their relationship off the rocks while they started unraveling the details of a new case. Robert Glass, the one and only mayor of Parlor Town, had received a threatening package containing a mutilated cat and a cassette tape. The voice on the tape threatened the mayor's daughter next, though the beloved mayor insisted that he had no such daughter. The entire package had been sent on behalf of the widow, a madam whose girls were wrecking the competition. Unfortunately, that competition was under Stella's watch, ever since her beloved friend and mentor, Mama Wang, had tragically died and left the business to her. Now Macy was chasing hunches at the Elsinore Mental Care Facility, and had called Stella with some bizarre news. Well, like I said, this one's wife is apparently Janet Steyer. Which doesn't ring any more of a bell right now than it did 30 seconds ago. What gives, Mace? Let me read you a few details from her file. Husband killed in 87 by a massive wound to the chest. Innocent bystander in a gang fight. She was committed by her sister after she attempted suicide three days later. It just says a gang fight? Anybody could have killed that guy. There's a newspaper clipping from the accident. Let me find the part... here. In what was determined to be a bloody territory war between Parlor Town's most notorious rival gangs, the Spiders and the Blades, Mr. Steyer was struck by a flying machete which, it is hoped, was aimed for an enemy gang member. It has yet to be determined who threw the weapon, as the gangs dispersed immediately upon hearing police sirens. The only clue anyone has is the mysterious word or name, Yera, which was screamed several times by hoodlums who fled the scene. So? Macy let the silence linger on the line for a moment. Oh, God, it was me. Hiera. I wouldn't have paid much attention to it, but I remembered Hiera. The Spanish word for ice is hierro. If a feminine form existed, it would be Hiera with an A. They called you that because you were so cold about killing. That they said ice ran through my veins. You're not thinking she's the widow, are you? Well, I don't want to jump the gun. I mean, she is a widow. It seems like an obvious nickname to take. But if that's her only clue, I'd say we have to do some digging. What do you propose? That's just it. I don't know where to begin. Stella, she escaped. Oh, great. Am I in an urban legend now? Some escaped psychopath is going to come get revenge on me? Maybe. And if you keep pushing me away like this, I won't be around to knock her on her psychotic ass for you. Guess I won't go trolling for prostitutes like I was gonna tonight, then. You ruin all my fun, Macy. (sighs) Let's have this fight when I get home, huh? Does that mean you're not staying out in Elsinore? According to her file, she has no family or anything. They've been looking for her for the past year. I'm going to see who I can bribe to make a copy of this file for me, and I'll be back in a while. Okay, pick me up here. Stella hung up the phone and heard a timid knock on her door. She kept her eyes on her desk, took a deep breath, and waited for that second knock. When she heard it, she slammed her hand on the desk and shouted at the door. What part of go home don't you understand? The door creaked open slowly, and her secretary's head poked shyly through the opening. Jane had only been working for them for a little while, and already it seemed like she was getting into some trouble. Just before Macy called, Stella had chewed Jane out for withholding messages from her. 
Stella's ex-girlfriend and fellow member of the Blades, Tasha, was running Mama Wang's house for Stella. Tasha had been putting in calls to Stella because of the widow, but Jane had not been giving Stella those messages, and Stella supposed this was at Macy's request. Either way, Stella had let Jane go for the day, which made it particularly unpleasant to see her jet-black curls poking into her office. I'm sorry, Miss Decker, but somebody called while you were on the phone. And? Well, it struck me as odd... She said her name was Courtney, and that she was a nurse at Our Lady of Mercy. She was one of your surgery nurses. What did she want? Well, that's what I found strange. She was calling for Macy, not you. Oh? She said she was sorry their conversation got cut off, but she doesn't have Macy's cell phone number, so she left a message for Macy to call her if she still wants to talk. Go home, Jane. I don't even want to see a post-it note from you. I'll see you in the morning. Just one more thing. Go home, Jane! A startled Jane hurried out of the office and closed the door behind her. Stella listened to the silence for a moment and then took out a pad and started scribbling notes. Within a moment, her intercom buzzed. She paused for a minute, trying not to believe that Jane would be buzzing her. She put down her pen and tapped her finger while the intercom buzzed again and a third time. Finally, she pressed the button. I'm glad to see that you installed an intercom system in your house, Jane. I'm sorry, but Mayor Glass is holding for you. What is with the phones today? How long has he been holding? He called right after the nurse. I put him on just before I came in, just now. Go home, Jane. Stella picked up her phone, exasperated, and tried to put on a friendly voice. (laughs) Mayor Glass. Good evening, Miss Decker. How are you? Oh, I'm all right, Mayor Glass. To what do I owe the pleasure? Well, I hate to bother you so late. I'm not bothering you during dinner, am I? No, I've eaten. What's troubling you? Well, I would have waited until the morning, but I thought you might want to know right away. I received another package from the widow, or rather, from the voice that speaks on her behalf. Oh, jeez. What did they kill now? Nothing, or no one. At least not yet. I wonder if we could meet. I'd rather talk about it in person. Well, I just let my secretary go, and Macy isn't around right now. It's kind of hard for me to get to you. I'll come to you. I'll be there in about 20 minutes. I look forward to it. Stella hung up the phone, grabbed her pad, and wheeled out into the lobby, which was thankfully empty. She sat at Jane's desk, scribbling names and details on her pad until she heard a hearty knock on the door, and Mayor Glass entered, flanked by two security officers. Hello, Mayor Glass. We can go into my office. Stella gestured to the open door leading to her office, but Mayor Glass strode behind her instead and wheeled her into the room. He was followed by one security officer, while one remained in the lobby. Mayor Glass wheeled Stella around behind her desk and took a seat opposite her. He put a small cardboard box on the desk and removed from it an envelope and his cassette player with a tape inside. Thank you for coming to me. I'm still getting used to not being able to drive myself around. Think nothing of it. I think this is best for all parties concerned. May I? Stella reached for the envelope and, with a nod from the mayor, opened it and pulled out a picture. The photo was of a young woman, maybe in her mid-twenties. She was in a sundress and was sitting on a porch swing. She had long, blonde, wavy hair that was sprawled over her shoulder. Stella studied the photo for a few minutes. Why is it that you didn't want to do this in your office? As we speak, my staff is sweeping the entire office for bugs. I'm fairly certain someone heard the conversation in my office. Let me play you the tape. The mayor pushed the play button, and a familiar voice came on. It isn't nice of you to tell lies to the nice young ladies, Mr. Mayor. Take a good look at your beautiful daughter. She looks comfortable on her porch, doesn't she? 
So safe out in the country. Time to start telling the truth, Mr. Mayor. The widow has great things planned for your lovely daughter. I know this looks terrible, but you've got to believe me, Miss Decker. I don't have a daughter. I've never seen this woman before in my life. I'm certainly afraid that the widow might harm her, whoever she is, but she's no relation to me. Stella sat quietly looking at the photo for a few minutes, which made Mary Glass nervous. You don't believe me. I'm going to assume that you're telling me the truth. I know you took our last conversation seriously, and right now I'm having trouble figuring out if anyone in my life is telling the truth, so this will be one less potential lie I have to worry about. Tonight, anyway. I'm sorry you have to take on my troubles as well. It's my job, Mr. Mayor. The way I see it, if you're lying to me, it will just mean my taking longer to solve it, which means you paying me more money. I'm glad we can work this out. Do you feel safe enough to sleep in your own house tonight, Mr. Mayor? Oh, sure. These guys have done right by me for years. I'll take good care of him, Miss Decker. All right, then. If that's all you've got, let's call it a night. Leave these here. I want Macy to see them. Thank you ever so much, Miss Decker. And thank Miss Hayes for me, too. Will do. Will you be all right here by yourself? I've still got arms. I have to watch out for my constituents. Good night, Mayor. Stella watched the men leave and heard the outer door click closed. She leaned back in her chair and distractedly put numbers into the Stoku booklet Jane had given her. She mulled over the case and dwelled on the call for Macy from this insidious-sounding nurse. Soon the outer door opened and closed. Macy? It's me, Stella. As angry as Stella was with Macy, her billowing blonde hair and sparkling eyes were quite the comfort. Let me take you home, hon. At home, Stella filled Macy in and played her tape while Macy made the two of them some tea. The two of them sipped silently for a few minutes until Macy broke the silence. Should we talk about it? It's been a really exhausting day, Mace. You're a great detective, Stella. I can't promise to like Tasha, but I can promise to love you. She's an ex, Macy. An ex? That gives me the right to hate her, doesn't it? I guess so. But this is still my business, and I still have to carry on Mama's legacy. And the widow is a danger to more than the whoring business, so let me do what I need to do, okay? Just as long as what you need to do isn't Tasha. What I need to do is get in bed with you. Fair enough. Macy tucked Stella in and slid under the covers next to her. The two slept until their phone rang mid-morning. Hello? Macy, I need you to not be a bitch to me right now. Tasha? It's Tasha. What does she want? Tasha, what's wrong? It's Marla. She's dead. Can you just put Stella on the phone? Here, someone's dead. We'll be there soon, Tasha. Oh god, hurry! At what used to be Mama Wang's, Stella and Macy were once again greeted by their new bouncer friend. Tasha's waiting upstairs. Here you go, Miss Decker. The bouncer scooped Stella up and started up the stairs with Macy behind, carrying the wheelchair. You can call me Stella, kid. It gives me the heebie-jeebies when people call me Miss. Okay, Stella. My name's Benny. Benny carried Stella into one of the rooms where all the girls were huddled in a circle around a box on the floor. Tasha, who was sitting at the head of the circle, rushed over to Stella just as Benny set her back in her chair. She fell at Stella's feet, sobbing. Stella patted her head for a moment while Macy walked around them, parted the girls, and looked in the box. She reeled back and faced Stella, the blood drained from her face. Is, is there a note or a, a cassette tape? Just to read her name. 
Stella got Tasha to sit aside and wheeled up to the box. In it was a mannequin's head that was used for wigs, but glued on the head was the skin from Marla's face, placed perfectly around the contours of the mannequin. Her hair was still attached and hung around the flesh-covered ears in the auburn braids she always wore. Her eyes were glued into the eye spots wide open. Someone had made her up, adding lipstick, blush, and fake eyelashes. Stella pulled up one of the flaps of the box and read the return name. The Widow. What terrible gift will the Widow send next? Does Mayor Glass really have a daughter? What does Janice Steyer have to do with it all? Tune in to next week's thrilling episode. All the worse for wear. In that episode of Decker and Hayes, the narrator was Daniel Schwartz, Stella Decker was Angela Tymon, Macy Hayes was Lynn Nelson, Jane Vance was Ava Rosenblatt, Mayor Robert Glass was Ryan Larranger, the voice was Justin Ha, Benny was Jordan D. White, Tasha was Guinevere Eckert, and the security officer was Jacob Thompson. The theme song was by Michael Temporary Khan Makowski. That's a theme song I don't know that I could actually play. Because it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, jazzy and all... Oh, good. He's trying to play a theme song from a show again. Oh, that's so good when he does that. I love it so much. You know, Frank, I think that sarcasm is highly unbecoming on you. Well, I don't give a crap. I think he's he's wasting time. So, blah, blah, blah. Let's just... Can we just do your show while he's doing this? Well, yes, but I want to explain what my show is first. You, we already know what your show is. It's on every episode. Yes, but what if someone important is listening for the first time? Look, it doesn't matter. The point is, my show is called This Day in History and then Where Are They Now in History, which is a show in which I investigate extra historical facts based on historical facts and then extra historical facts that stem from the extra-historical facts stemming from the historical facts. That's about the most complicated way you can explain it possibly ever. Could you just say, it's stuff you make up based on historical facts, it leads to a public service announcement, and then you extrapolate on the bull. Well, I wouldn't have called it that, but, you know, I mean, that's generally, that's a layman's terms version of it, perhaps. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so can we just get to today's day in history? I'm sure it's got some sort of event. Yes, there's an event, yes. All right, let's get right to it. Hello, this is WHRW with This Day in History. My name is Rory Sinjin. Did you know that on June 29, 1972, in Furman v. Georgia, the U.S. Supreme Court rules by a vote of 5-4 to four that capital punishment is unconstitutional? The majority held that, in violation of the Eighth Amendment to the Constitution, the death penalty qualified as cruel and unusual punishment. He should die for his crimes. He's a bad person. Absolutely. Send him into the abandoned courthouse over there and leave him there. I'm sure it'll fall down on his head. Guys, guys, I'm confused. I thought we just decided that uh, capital punishment is is wrong. Now, I understand he said some terrible things about our mothers, and this isn't quite as famous as the last piece of history we he just covered. He kicked my dog! But we should still try to do it with some level of accuracy for Rory Sinjin's sake. Doesn't that only apply in the capital? Hey. Now you've just confused me. Sorry about that. I guess that. I'm gonna have to... He's confused! Uh, I, Send him off to capital punishment! I guess I'm gonna have to recuse myself from this deliberation. Oh. Good. Well. So, capital punishment. Hey, I, I think it's it's... Good? Yeah, it, no, 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 no. We, no we, we're making it illegal. Oh, it's bad. It's bad. Yeah. To, to capital punish, capital punishment. Now let, Send it into condemned buildings. Yeah, let's go into the abandoned courthouse to find the uh, last ruling about this. All right. We'll uh, look uh, through one, the, the files. Wait hey, a minute. What? This, this. 
<laughs> oh god, no, I'm dying. It seems this building's falling down on our heads. Ow, one hit me right in the temple. And I'm bleeding profusely. How unfortunate this is. We're all gonna die due to standing in this condemned building to find our documents while the rafters fall down on our poor Salafod mortal heads. How cruel and ironic. And Benny did consider it a sort of divine capital punishment that the shameful judges who decided this were killed by going into an abandoned, condemned building. Make sure that you don't go into a condemned building. Uh, it may fall on your head, or you might fall through the floor or something else that's, uh, you know, dangerous. It's bad. This is This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. But the issue's not dead yet. My name's Roy Singer, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Gas and Wax. And I'm sure you want to know more about this terrible world where capital punishment remained against the law. What happened was they would arrest people who had committed murders, and instead of being able to put them to death, they could only make them live in prison for the rest of their lives. And those murderers did live on in solitary confinement, thinking murderous thoughts for the rest of their existence. Years, sometimes decades. And once in a while, people would find that someone they had convicted was not guilty, which made the justice system look completely foolish. If they had been dead, no one would have ever known. And to top it all off, the death row section of prisons became completely useless since no one was on death row anymore. They ended up condemning that wing of all prisons. And once in a while, prisoners would sneak into the death row wing of prisons. And because it was a condemned building and it was very unsafe, once in a while those prisoners would be hurt. Is that the kind of world you want to live in? I don't think so. But of course there are condemned buildings in the world that you do live in, so don't go into them for Pete's sake. This is Rory Sinjin with Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. Don't kill criminals at all, please. Thank you for that. Yes, why did you say that? Don't kill criminals at all. Well, that was the message of your, your thing, wasn't it? No. It, well, it actually said exact opposite. But the real message was, you know, don't go into condemned buildings. Oh, sorry. Uh, don't go in condemned buildings at all. But I didn't need it sung. It was in there already. People already had the PSA. You didn't need to repeat it. But also the thing about not killing prisoners was in there. No, no, no. I said kill cri criminals is what I said. Well, yeah, but it was clearly sarcastic. I didn't say that I was being sarcastic, did I? That was, that was something you read into it. Perhaps I left it to the reader to decide. Nobody's reading it. The, the listener, you know, listener. Look, I'm not trying to make a, a political statement here. I'm, I'm just... I was talking about an alternate reality, and that's the way it was. Well, no, but you were making a political statement. Either you were making the political statement that you really, really honestly think it's terrible to not kill criminals, because that's what you literally said, or you were saying that for dramatic effect and, and it was irony and, and you believe that criminals should not be killed. One of the two. Well, yes, perhaps it is one of the two, but perhaps it is up to the reader which of the two it is. That's a really cowardly thing to do. I, oh, now I understand. It's you doing it. Well, I don't know why you said that. I think because because you pretended to be a robot when Scape was taking control of the show. And for the weeks before that, you buckled under pressure and let him get tortured and kind of gave in to Scape. I think Scape made you eat cat food and you did it. And Scape made you talk about how great he was all the time and you did it. Also because Thomas Edison bullied you into asking him to sleep with your mother multiple times and tell you how good it was. No, I didn't ask him to tell me how good it was. But he did and you listened. Um, so... I, I, can you tell I, I, I did catch up on the podcast. I listened to all the things that happened while I was gone. Well, you didn't you really. That was not necessary. It would have been better if you listened at the time so that you could have stopped it. But, well, look, I, I don't. I still I don't think I warrant to be called a coward. The point is you can write into me at castingwaxgmail.com and I will do extra historical readings. That has nothing to do with cowardice. So, yes. Well, then why are you mentioning it? I just thought I would. 
Make me a little. Okay, Rory. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's, next up is my segment of the show. This is a, uh, a segment of Tract or Fiction doing uh, Jack Chick Tract. Uh, it's an episode called That Crazy Guy, uh, which is really screwed up. So hopefully everybody will enjoy that. I know I will. Because you know why? Tract or Fiction is a great, great show. That, that was a really crappy song. Could you write me a good song if you're going to do a little song? I'm oh, sorry. Um, can I write it during the show and then I'll play it for you at the end? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, that's what I'll do. Good evening, everybody. This is Frank Allen here on WHRW Binghamton. You're listening to Tract or Fiction, where we uh, we enact a little uh, religious tract by Jack Chick, and then we have a debate about it. We decide whether it's valid or not, and we learn all sorts of things about the known universe. Um, tonight is our last tract uh, of the semester, of the season, so to speak, and it's a crazy one called That Crazy Guy, with an explanation, uh, an explanation point. Oh, that was terrible. An exclamation point at the end. It's, that's how exciting it is. Um, here we go. That crazy guy. Once upon a time in a public park, just like the public park you are imagining right now, a beautiful girl was being asked out by that crazy guy, Craig. By which I mean he's crazy cool, not like he's one of those crazy guys. Two weeks from tonight, I'll pick you up at 7.30. Okay, Susie? Sure, Craig. I'll show you how to be a real party animal because I'm crazy. Susie was ecstatic. After that crazy guy left, she waxed rhapsodic about him. I never dreamed he'd ask me. I can't believe it. Wow, he's so beautiful. I don't want to mess up this date. I'll see if I can get some tips from Miss Damien. I hope she's home. She was, and lucky for Susie. If anyone knew how to bag a man, it was Miss Damien. She'd sexed more men than she'd even met. Susie told her the story. This is new to me, Miss Damien. Can you help me? Listen, kid. As long as you practice safe sex, you can get away with anything. First, you go on the pill. I'll give you some. Your date is in two weeks, that's long enough. And I'll throw in some condoms, too. It's so good to have someone I can trust. This may sound stupid, but, uh, could VD be a problem? Are you kidding? VD is nothing anymore. You get a shot of penicillin and it's gone. This is the new age, honey. Science has everything under control. Don't worry, pussycat. If it feels good, do it. Craig's so cute and real crazy. Mm, I envy you. Go for it, kid. What could possibly go wrong? On the night of the date, Susie and Craig had intercourse numerous times, in various sexual positions, and in many prominent locations, including the back of Craig's car. Ain't I the greatest, Betty? Uh, My name's Susie, you jerk. You shove it, Betty. Later that night, Susie somehow felt less than wonderful about the numerous occasions of intercourse. Uh, He was so gross. I never want to see him again. Oh man, I I wonder if I'm pregnant. Twelve days later... I'm not pregnant! Wow, I feel great, I'm safe! Not quite, Susie. Craig gave you two little surprises you didn't count on. The first one shows up from two to twenty days after sexual contact. Oh, why am I burning down there? Oh, Oh, that looks awful! What did that creep give me? Miss Damien, I gotta talk to you. I'm busy, kid. Please? Well, okay, come on in. If it won't take too long. I, uh, I I think I caught something from Craig. Did you pick up a dose of the clap? What's clap? It's gonorrhea, stupid. 
Don't you know anything? Get out. I don't want what you've got. But what'll I do? If you're dumb enough to catch it, then it's your problem. God knows I tried to warn you. Ugh, I've got to spray the chair you sat on. Susie ran back to the park where she'd been asked on the fateful date and came across a female friend of hers whose name I don't want to tell you. Susie, you look terrible. You got a problem? Uh, I'm scared to death. My mom and dad are going to kill me. Can you tell me about it? Susie told her. We'll skip that part. Susie, go see my grandfather. He's a doctor. He'll do everything he can to help you. I'll tell him you're coming. Susie did just as her mysterious friend told her. <coughs> Susan, I ran the test, and I've got some bad news. <sighs> it's gonorrhea, right, doctor? Oh, yes. Plus something far worse. Susan, you're HIV positive. AIDS? Impossible! Craig wore a condom! I'm sorry, Susan. You're dying and there's no cure. Susan, there's a horrible lie being pushed today. Experts are claiming you can have safe sex if you use a condom. But the truth is, the AIDS virus is so small, it can pass right through a doctor's surgical gloves. Researchers have found holes in surgical gloves big enough to all 10 AIDS viruses to pass through side by side. And most condoms are made of the same latex rubber. A recent meeting of 800 sexologists. Not a single one said they'd trust a condom to protect them if they had sex with an HIV-infected person. So what does that tell you, Susan? <gasps> That's horrible! High schools are passing out condoms like candy! <laughs> yes, Susan. And I believe millions of people like you, young people, will die because of this. It's also unfair. Why did God do this to me? Don't blame God. He tried to stop you from getting this disease. What? God set up strict rules in the Bible. If we'd obeyed them, VD and AIDS would be no problem today. But I've never even heard of these rules. <laughs> That's because most people... Don't want to hear what God says about sex, Susan. God said there'd be absolutely no sex outside of marriage. In the Old Testament, God ordered the death of anyone caught in the act of adultery. This was to protect their family from venereal disease. Susan, God created within your body an incredible force that protects you from disease. It's called the immune system. Whatever deadly germs invade your body... The immune system goes into action and kills the invaders. Wow, that's heavy. <sighs> but now AIDS has hit our land. AIDS destroys the immune system and allows deadly, deadly germs to spread throughout your body, eventually causing your death. So now that I've got AIDS, all I've got to look forward to is death, right? Wrong, Susan! <laughs> You'll soon face something far worse than AIDS. <laughs> Oh, you'll face your greatest test as you breathe your last breath. What happens then? If you were a true Christian, Susan, God's angels would be at your bedside to take you to heaven. Unfortunately, most people die on their sins and their screaming souls are taken and thrown into the dark, horrible, unspeakable place. The truth is, Susan, your school doesn't care about you or your soul. Only one person really loves you. And he didn't want you to die in your sins. So he died for you. To keep you from going to hell, Jesus shed his precious blood. God's blood, no less. 
to wash away our sins. And three days later, he arose from the dead, and his sacrifice was God's love gift for you. And if you believe this and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior at your death, God's angels will take you into heaven, Susan. The Lord Jesus wants you just as you are. He loves and wants to be your savior and friend. Ask him into your heart right now. I will. Please come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Thank you for saving me. I'm looking forward to being with you in heaven real soon. And she died happily soon after. The end. All right, that's the end of the tract, as you heard. Um, all right, let's get straight to the debate, shall we? Uh, we have two experts here. I'm sorry, we have lots of experts here, but we actually have two debaters here who are incredibly uh, knowledgeable about this topic. Uh, I'm sure they'll tell you about their, their backgrounds in the field. Uh, debater number one. This is Franklin Allenton. I'm sorry, what? Franklin Allenton. Franklin Allenton? Yes. I don't think I... I don't have you here on the sh- you're the, you're the debater? Yes, I am. Okay. All right. That's fine. Uh and debater number 2, of course. Hello. Hi there. What's your name? My name is Mr. Sivong. Uh what what's your background in the field, if I may ask? Well, I actually have a very personal relationship with uh Susie. Oh. Of uh, from the tract. Of yes. course. Okay, excellent. Well, uh let me just check a look at my notes here. A very personal relationship. All right, well, I'm sure, so as I said, I'm sure everybody would realize that uh, Mr. Sivan believes that this tract is true. And, of course, uh, I'm sorry, Franklin Allenton? Yes, that's correct. Believes that this tract is false. Uh, so, as, as always, I'm sure everybody knows, we, we always let the attacker go first. Uh, so, Franklin, you get to go first. All right, before I go, I'd like to flip a coin to decide whether I'm going to be positive and state what I believe, or be strongly negative and just attack my opponent. I believe it's tail, so I'm just going to attack my opponent. Um, now, Mistress Yvonne, I cannot help but find you to be absolutely ridiculous, because you're a mistress, yet you believe that this tract is true. It simply does not make any sense. Actually, I have very good reason. You see, me and uh, Susie, Susie and myself, have uh, satanic orgies on a regular basis. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Hold on, I'm a little confused. So am I. You you and Susie have satanic orgies, but I thought Susie was saved. Uh, no, that's that's not true at all. You said the tract was true, and she's saved in the (laughs) tract, and then she died at the end of the tract. Uh, yeah. So, how do you have it's orgies? So, so, in other words, you're um, kind of backing up my uh, side of this so, debate. So, I'm sorry. It's, it's you- true that uh, Susie was evil and doing wrong things oh, by oh. having sex. So, you're saying you had these satanic orgies with her yes. before the tract? <laughs> when she was well, unexperienced when she was in the still ways alive, of love? Yes. I but had satanic orgies with Susie when she was still alive. When she was unexperienced. I know people who have had satanic orgies with Susie after she was, uh... Dead? Uh, yes. yes. That's really not very appropriate. Excuse me, um, for a second, I'm just gonna flip a coin to decide whether Su- whether uh, Mr. Sivan is on crack or on weed. Weed will be tails, crack will be heads. Well, who won? Weed. Oh. Well, that's not appropriate either. Uh, but in fact, okay, here's, here's my... Now, I don't even think Jesus 
would hold someone responsible for what's done to their dead body after they're already dead. So I don't think she'll... Actually, if I could interject for a second here. Uh, Oh, sir, you're one of our experts, of course. I'm Jesus H. Christ, and you're definitely responsible for what happens to you after you die and come to see me. How are we supposed to take care of our bodies after we're dead? Not my problem. That's your problem. Hence, your responsibility. I don't know if that's fair. I don't know if I agree with that. What, what do you think, Franklin? I, I I really don't know what to say. Um, I'm just going to flip a coin to decide. Do, do I know you from somewhere? Are you like, uh, do you have a show or something? I, Mr. I, Allen! Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, we have an expert Mr. here. Mr. Allen! Oh, no, Cindy, yes. your C- secretary. Oh, Cindy. Yes, ah, hi. What are you doing here? I'm so sorry, but the Reverend Johnson canceled for today. We don't have a second debater. Who's this? I thought he was the first debater, actually. I thought he was a debater. He's not a debater. He's not on my I- list. He's not on yours either. I didn't give him to you. Well, I didn't have that. No, I didn't have him on my list. Oh, well, oh, oh well, I guess it worked itself out. Goodbye. Oh, well, did you, are you keeping the door locked? All right. Well, okay. You were saying. Oh, well, anyway, um, I, I would uh, appreciate if you uh, repeated the question. I don't remember what the question was. Uh, Mistress, why don't you tell us about uh, this track, please? Well, actually, what I was going to say is that my boyfriend's other girlfriend, who just so happens to be actually have a thing with my other boyfriend's girlfriend, and she said that when she happened to actually have been uh, participating in the satanic orgies that took place after the death of uh, Susie, and she said that she heard from her other boyfriend that Susie had actually liked it and actually enjoyed this, the even dead though body? she's dead. The dead body enjoyed that? How's that possible? If well, I can interject again here. Okay, yes. Yes, Susie definitely enjoyed the post-mortem orgies. I know, because I condemned her. From you Wait, she, she was in heaven and then you condemned her? Yes. Is that really fair? Um, um, can, can I just uh, you put in with a bit of a question here? Um, If you condemned her... Why did you condemn her in a way that would allow her to enjoy that? I condemned her post-enjoyment. Interesting. I believe we do have an expert here, though, to speak about this issue. I uh, worked for the Reagan administration in the early 80s. The information... Yes, yes, that's why I'm an expert, because I have expert credentials, unlike most of these jokers here. But what I have to say is, I, I studied the AIDS, I spread information about the AIDS, and you know what? There are ways other than sex that they may have gotten the AIDS. Could get AIDS on a toilet seat. Say you sit on a toilet seat. There's some dirty water and there's some urine there. Splash. AIDS. Or you could go say she's kissing Craig and, you know, smooch AIDS through the saliva. Everyone knows this. It's a fact. It's a fact. Like the Charleston. Wait, didn't your administration say also that um, acid rain was caused by trees? Well, acid rain and trees are strongly correlated. I'd like to see you deny that, buddy. Well, we, we do only have acid rain on planets where there are trees. If I, if I could interject for a second. Oh, please. Who's this? This is the AIDS virus. Oh. And I want to say that everything this gentleman just said here is absolutely 100% correct. But I also like to interject that I also infect fruit baskets and sometimes popular TV shows. Hello, hello. I am so sorry. My name is Gogo, and I'm a gonorrhea molecule. And I'm here to say that this tract is completely 100% false. 
The reason for that is that I, Gogo, have been trying to get into heaven for years now. Gonorrhea and anybody with gonorrhea stays out of heaven. Yeah, but we're talking about AIDS. Wait, so are you trying to say that, you know, if someone receives a blood transfusion unknowingly that has, that contains AIDS or gonorrhea, are they also kept out of heaven? I've been spread that way before, baby, and I still haven't gotten in. It's true. But so okay, that so that would go that would that would lead us to say that this tract is false because of course the implication of the tract is that she does go to heaven, Susie, and she's got both gonorrhea and AIDS. Frank, Frank, let me interject for a second here, please. Now, wait, was who already, is this? This is Jesus Christ still. Okay, what does the H stand for? Holy. Oh, that's duh. <laughs> I think it stands for HIV. Jesus HIV Christ. <laughs> Jesus him Christ. <laughs> Just a coincidence. I would just like to point out Hell that of an I- indigo violence. Oh, hold on, hold on, Excuse hold on. Me. Well, actually, I'd, I'd like to, I'd, oh. I'd like to talk about the point. You're, you're all saying, "Well, it doesn't make sense. It seems like she got to heaven, but she didn't." I'm a jerk. I like playing with people like that. That's why my book is poorly written, and I have all these tracks out here. They're rather ambiguous. I don't know. Those tracks are pretty clear to me. Crystal clear, crystal true. Hold on, hold on now. All right. Actually, what I was going to say before I was so rudely interrupted is that. I actually have experience with I'm a friend of mine uh, that I know through my girlfriend's other boyfriend's like second brother who she also happened to have slept with my other boyfriend. And she says that she once know, knows somebody who got uh, the HIV virus from being spanked with a dirty paddle. And uh, this well, What person- was it dirty with? AIDS. I guess that would make it dirty. Yeah, it's like got a- <laughs> it's got AIDS. It's well, I suppose it. I just got AIDS on it. Listen, you did it yourself. Actually, it was you? The, the person she was talking about was you? No, it was not me. You just actually, said it was you. I, I, I watched it happen. Actually, I, um, I, I've um, seen you around in the um, the uh, the place where, you know. He is place. a suspicious character. All right, now. Listen, listen, I, I all seem y'all. To, I seem to hear that a lot. I seem, <laughs> go, go. Listen, all y'all. I just want to um, dispel this myth of uh, STDs spreading through latex and, and holes and all of this. Honey, my hips are too big for me to get through anything. Well, nobody's going to argue with you there. I'm hopping on the VD train. Check y'all later. All right. Well, thank you for coming by. Uh, don't come back. Okay. Um, Actually, yes? um, I would just like to point out that um, the person who uh, contracted uh, AIDS from being spanked with the dirty paddle yeah. was, in fact, your mother. My mother or his what? mother? Because it might have been his mother. We actually seem like uh, brothers from different mothers at times. You do kind of remind me of someone I know. Your brother? Maybe. Or somebody else? Someone. Oh. Well, okay. Know. You know, it, unfortunately, we are drawing towards the end. So why don't you, uh, Franklin, why don't you give us your closing arguments about uh, this uh, falseness of the tract? All right. Basically, I just flipped this coin. Based on my coin flip, I believe I should win. Lady Luck is indeed on my side. That's your argument? Yes. Interesting. Um, Mistress, it doesn't look like you have that much to uh, to go up against, so why don't you tell us why this is true once again. Closing arguments. Uh, yes, I believe that this tract is true because I have had physical, hands-on experience uh, with the AIDS virus and with people who have the AIDS virus. You've held the AIDS virus? <laughs> I'll say. <laughs> I've, I have not personally held the AIDS virus, but... I have a lot of uh, experience with people who have held the AIDS virus, and I what, what did they do with it when they held it? Jostled me. <laughs> they spanked it. They. they, they I'm sorry. 
So they, so you, this panel got AIDS on it because somebody spanked AIDS with the panel? Oh, yeah. People like to get really freaky with me. AIDS does a lot Wait, of things. Wait, is AIDS that is Jesus like- or is that the disease? Because you still we'll never like know. Jesus. <laughs> it's Jesus HIV Christ. Excuse me. I think these are my closing arguments. I'm sorry. Please and, continue. Um, I would just like to say that because I feel that I have such hands-on experience with this uh, virus, that it, it is my duty to inform people that if you have experience with the AIDS virus, if you have the AIDS virus... I know people that have gotten AIDS virus through being spanked with dirty paddles, and I would just like to say that they have indeed repented and gone to heaven. Well, there you go. And I know this for a fact, because actually, I am friends with Jesus Christ, and, um... Not true. Well, well, uh, I I would like to point out Jesus Christ and Jesus H. Christ might be uh, different people. That's probably why. It's like, like, you know, when, when someone kills someone famous and they always start using their middle name? To, yeah. So that it differentiates them from the other people with those same first... So maybe that's it. Jesus Christ is one guy. Jesus H. Christ did something really terrible. Well, yeah, just like John Wilkes Booth is exactly. from the porn star John Booth. Exactly. I think that um, Jesus Christ is not answering this right now because he is ashamed of what he has done. That sounds likely. Yes, I dying for the he... sins of everyone was a huge mistake. <laughs> well, at this point, no, it looks like a... it. He is ashamed. Um, he doesn't want to spoil his image. Or, Therefore, he doesn't want to say that he has experience associating with me and the uh, orgies that I have participated in. All right. He's, well, he this, they were satanic, that. you said, so that would I would I'd see why he wouldn't want to associate with them. <laughs> I like that girl's moxie. <laughs> she does have moxie, sir. Uh, thank you for stopping by from the Reagan administration. It's amazing administration, uh, one way or another. Let's uh, decide who won that debate. And I think it's pretty clear to everybody that, oh my goodness. Uh, Franklin Allenton, with his amazing coin, did win. I told you that Lady Luck was on my side. Apparently you were right. Um, Slices it dices. It decides debates. It does. Well, this is my coin. It decides the debate. That's a different coin. Well, both both our coins decide this debate. Well, that was coincidence, I think. I think we could argue that Frank's coin decided it. Frank, Frank, me. I'm Frank. No, no, I'm I'm Frank. I think that Satan decided. No, I'm, I'm Frank, actually. I think that Satan decided the results of this debate. Well, Satan didn't give me this coin. I don't think. How do you know? Maybe he Can did. Sure? I-, I think it's a safe assumption here that uh, Frank's coin designed this debate. Frank, uh, me, I'm Frank. No, no, I- I'm Frank. Let me say that I'm... F- All right, look. I would like to debate with this debate. No, you can't debate the debate. The <laughs> debate's can't. done. All right. The debate's done. I've won, sweetie. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Tractor Fiction, where we've learned... Oh, God. Have we learned a lot of stuff. Like, for example, Jesus H. Christ clearly must have done something terrible that he's embarrassed about. And that's why we differentiate him from Jesus Christ. Um, and that much is clear. And that Frank decides to debate. Frank, d- me, I'm Frank, Frank, Frank Allen, Frank, me. Saying goodbye. Bye. That episode of Tractor Fiction featured the voice talents of Frank Allen, Lynn Nelson, Magdalena Richards, Nicholas Roach, Ava Rosenblatt, Sam Thomason, Jacob Thompson, Elijah Weberhan, and Jordan D. White. Thank you very much, Rory. And you know what time it is. It's time for me to tell you a little something about that. That was Tractor Fiction And it was a pretty good thing Track to fiction and it made me wanna sing. It says, Hey, I like you, track.
to fiction time. Hey, I want you track to fiction. You're on my mind and I love you. I love you track to fiction. I said a good song. Oh, sorry. God. Last time I tried to sing a song about your segment of the show. Good. That's what I've been trying to say. Less songs during the show. How about that? Less, fewer songs. No more songs. How about even better? No more songs. Fine. You know what? Fine. Next up, we've got a show that, oh, oh, right, right. Next up is the show usually would be Scape Show. Scapey stories from a cat in the dark. But Scape's grounded, so we had to make do. Enjoy. Harry Stories. From a janitor in the dark. Hello there, this is Jordan D. White with Harry Stories from a janitor in the dark. I am hosting this as I usually do, or at least as I used to do. Um, Scape, as you will recall, is grounded, uh, having been up to some mischief while I was away. But we still wanted to have the show, so we found a replacement. And so instead of reading the story to Scape today, uh, I read the story to Mr. Harry Wilson. So now I'm going to let him take it away. He's going to read this story to our good friend, Mr. Frank Allen. So Harry, say hello to everyone. Hi, everybody. This is Harry Wilson. You probably... uh, remember me if you heard it from uh, Harry Wilson advises you. Harry Wilson continues to advise you. Harry Wilson advises you some more and other stuff that I've been in if you heard it. Uh, I'll make this a segment on uh, Harry Wilson advises you even more when uh, that show gets picked up very soon. All right. uh, So uh, thank you for tuning in. And uh, we've got with us uh, Frank Allen, uh, other guy on the radio sometimes. Hi, Frank. Hello. Uh, it's good to be here, and uh, I'm glad that for once you're not trying to take my show from me, which is good. Um, but it's uh, it's good to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. Uh, anytime, of course. Uh, yeah, as long as I can get this show from uh, from Scape, then I don't need your show. So you better hope I do a good job. That's fine. Uh, so here we go. The story, uh, The Man and the Snake by Ambrose Bierce. Okay, we start out and there's this guy, Harker Brayton. And it's probably the morning because he's wearing his nightgown and his slippers and he's lying on the couch, right? But he's not brushing his teeth. We haven't even heard whether he's brushed his teeth yet, which I think is the most important part of the story, which you should do at least twice an hour, maybe more. That's That seems a little excessive. Why? I, my understanding is after meals, when you wake up, things like that. Well, definitely, unless you eat like 50 times an hour. Yeah, if you eat like 50 times an hour, maybe you shouldn't brush your teeth that often. But if you eat a normal time of day, you're, you're brushing, you know, twice a, twice an hour, three times an hour, 15 times an hour, you'll, you'll get in right after you sleep, right after you eat. Won't that weaken your gums and make your teeth fall out? Possibly, but they'll be clean. That's the important thing, make your teeth extremely clean. Tooth health is the main important thing. Gum health, not as important. You ever try to eat with your gums, it doesn't work. Tooth health is more important than gum health. Now, Harker Brayton hasn't brushed his teeth, as far as we know, and he's sitting there reading a book instead, which is stupid because he should have been brushing his teeth. But he's reading about Marvels of Science, this old book which is telling him about how snakes have this power from their eyes that shines and draws people into them, and then they get eaten up by the snake. People or other animals or mice or something like that. And he's laughing at it because he thinks it's stupid. Possibly because if anything's gleaming from the snake, that's going to draw people in. It's the fangs. Because snakes has got the most frightening and terrifying teeth of any animals in the world. Wait, that doesn't make any sense. You're saying snakes have terrifying teeth, and yet you're suggesting that when you see them, you'll you'll say, I be drawn in and get eaten by them. That's why it's terrifying. You get eaten. Yeah, but no, but it, you would see them and be scared and run away. I mean, I, he's right to laugh. This is nonsense that they would have hypno eyes. That's something Rory Singer would say. It's nonsense. But hypno teeth is just as nonsense. Well, actually, that's going to get dealt with 
with later in the story because while he's reading, he's seeing these two little lights coming from out of the corner of the room. And he's thinking, I'm not, I'm serious. It's going to get dealt with. He's seeing these two little lights and he's thinking, huh, I don't care about these two little lights. I'll get back to reading my book. Now, why he's thinking that so specifically when he doesn't care about them, I don't know. But he is. Anyway, he reads the book a little bit more. Then he keeps looking down at these lights in the corner of the room. And he eventually determines they're coming from a snake. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it seemed fairly obvious that they were coming from a snake. I didn't want to spoil your story, but that's a bit of a coincidence. Yeah, I think so, too, especially since he was reading about snakes right then. But that's what happened. Now, he thinks it's from the snake's eyes. I'm pretty sure it was the teeth because, again, snakes has got pretty impressive fangs. Well, let me ask you this. Yeah. Do snakes have hands? No. So probably wasn't coming from the hands then. Right. Uh, but that's that's not where I was going with this. What I meant was they don't have hands, so they can't hold a toothbrush, a toothbrush, which is why they have to eat toothpaste. What? That's why they have to eat toothpaste. I've never seen a snake do that. Those are the snakes that aren't practicing good dental hygiene. Too many snakes, just like too many people, don't brush their teeth enough. For instance, how many people walking down the street do you typically see brushing their teeth? Uh, none. I've never. That's because they're not practicing good tooth hygiene. I brush my teeth pretty much constantly, except when I'm talking or eating, which is why all my food tastes like nothing. But I make that sacrifice for good tooth health so I can eat. All right. Okay, so... So then, if we ever go into our bathrooms yeah. and see our toothpaste has a lot of little holes in it, that's a warning that there's a, 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 a well-maintained set of fangs from a snake. I mean, it's a snake with good to tooth health around. That means your snake is practicing good tooth health. Well, I don't have a snake. I'm saying this would be danger sign. Well, very possibly, yes. So anyway, he sees these these fangs, or he thinks they're eyes because he's not that smart, and he's kind of getting drawn into them. But let's go back right now and figure out who he is. He's this guy, and he's really rich, which means he has the luxury to buy lots of toothpaste. But it doesn't even say he does that. Instead, he likes uh, lying around, reading, and doing sports. For which you need good tooth health, especially boxing, because you might get punched in the face and break your teeth. No, they have, because they have mouth protectors. They have these, like, rubber things you put in. In fact, you, you might like them, because they would protect you in life. You could just put them in, and they protect you from... Like something smashing your teeth. Well, that's no good. How do you brush your teeth when you're fighting? Well, they don't usually... Uh, you can't hold the... Again, you can't hold the toothbrush with the boxing glove. That's the problem with boxing. That's why it should be banned. Anyway, he'd just been traveling around Europe in lots of, uh, you know, small towns and stuff where they don't have a lot of toothpaste, good toothbrushes, etc. So obviously he wanted to get back. So he comes back to San Francisco and he's just been in all these poor places. And now normally he's used to lots of luxury where he can buy expensive tooth care products and stuff, presumably. But... Now, he's just back from all these poor places. He wants even more luxury. So he moves out of this fancy hotel where he was living. So he talked to his friend, this guy called Dr. Druring. And as it happens, Dr. Druring is this incredibly rich guy with a huge house. So, of course, he can afford toothpaste. Who is fascinated by lower animals and keeps a big collection of them. Lower animals being like rats and, of course, snakes. All the animals with the most impressive fangs in the world, pretty much. Rats have impressive fangs? Yeah. I are you sure? Well, the guy was collecting them, so they must. Okay. Now, he's got a huge wing of his house dedicated to snakes. And his wife and his daughters don't like snakes, so they're not allowed in there. He's got this huge snake wing, right? Wait, they're not allowed in there? Does he not tell them he has them? No, he tells them, but they don't like snakes. So he says, all right, you don't like snakes, you're not allowed in my snake wing. Seems a little backwards, but okay. You'd think he'd say, you don't like snakes, snakes aren't allowed in. Yeah, well, he's weird. All right, so he's got these snakes, and he does experiments on them, probably like with different brands of toothpaste and stuff. What? Wait, no. He's a he's experiment. I thought he liked them. He likes to 
collect them and experiment. He's a scientist. That doesn't sound right. Well, he's not a nice guy. So he's experimenting on the snakes with different brands of toothpaste, which you're right is cruelty if he's given them a bad brand. So he's, he's experimenting and all this. He's got them all locked up. And, of course, he's letting his friends stay in the rich house while he's waiting. So the guy's looking and he finally notices, wait, there's gleaming on the floor. It's a snake. Okay, what should I do? I could call a servant to get rid of it, but then they might think I'm scared of the snake. It, is he scared of the snake? Yeah. Well. And then he said, but he doesn't want them to know because he's proud. Okay. Like, if you didn't brush your teeth that day, you might cover them up with your gum and your lip like this so people wouldn't see them. Well, that's definitely nothing to be proud of. Exactly. So he was trying to hide it. But he thought, wait, why am I such a coward that I would hide my being a coward? But then he thinks, actually, I don't want them to think I'm a coward. So he starts walking backwards. Like, away from the way of the snake. Oh, okay. So it's not like as a confusion tactic. No, if he wanted to confuse him, he would like say, snake, uh, don't brush your teeth or something like that. The snake doesn't, can't brush its teeth. That's why it's confusing. All right. So he starts walking away from the snake, but he notices every time he tries to move his foot away from the snake, it moves towards the snake. This is kind of worrying him because he's not moving the way he wanted to. Wait. So, I'm sorry. So he's like, I'm going to walk backwards, but then... He actually walks forwards. Right. Is he is he dumb? No, he's got in the thrall of the mesmerism of the snake from his fangs, which he thinks is the teeth. Because the fangs are gleaming so much because this snake obviously has been biting toothpaste. Because of the experiments. Right. Okay. So he's moving towards the snake and he's thinking, well, this is really bad. I'm moving towards this snake. I don't know if it's poison or what because... I never found out how to tell what snakes is poisonous and what isn't. Anyway. Well, plus all he can see is the, well, the fangs or the eyes. So how would you tell from those? Exactly. They're not striped fangs. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking at the fangs and you know they're poisonous, don't brush your teeth after the snake from that toothpaste. That's one of my most important lessons of tooth health. What if you don't know? Well, then watch out. Watch out? Yeah, you better be safe. Than better. All right. Well, let me ask you this. Better, better safe than sorry. Go and buy extra replacement toothpaste and use that. Well, this is what I'm saying. You you get you get home. There's your toothpaste. Snake bite holes in it. Use a different tube. But you that's all you've got. So your option is- Why would you only have one tube of toothpaste? Go to the closet of toothpaste and get another tube. All right. All right. So he starts frothing at the mouth also. Toothpaste. Obviously. Are we talking about the guy or the snake? The guy. Because before he started walking away from the snake, he must have brushed his teeth. Because he finally got some smarts. But is do brushing your teeth protect you from snakes? No, but it keeps your teeth clean. Okay. So he's frothing at the mouth and walking towards the snake, even though he's trying to walk away. Then something hits him and he falls over. Wait, you mean physically or an idea? Physically. Like he's bloody. Something hit him. Then he gets up again and he thinks, okay, now I just have to not look at the glow from the fangs. Well, he's thinking like the eyes, but it's really the fangs. Wait, no, what hit him? You didn't, what hit him? Nobody knows. Well, you know. Okay, so something hits him. That's all I'm going to say. Something hit him. All right. And he thinks, all right, now I'm bloody and I fell over, but maybe this is good. I'm not uh, mesmerized by the snake anymore. I just got to not look at the glow from the fangs. I can go relax, brush my teeth or something. I'm all right. So then he says, okay, I'll just crawl towards the snake and get it. Wait, what? Why, why would he go tor towards the snake? The whole, he just broke the spell. Get away from the snake. Because he's actually mesmerized again. You just said he wasn't. He thought he wasn't but he was. That's ridiculous. Well, that's what happened. He was mesmerized by the glow from the fangs, because the snake's been biting the toothpaste from the doctor's lab. But that's b between the lines. I didn't say that. You didn't say that. You did say that. Pretend I didn't say it. It's between the lines. All right. So downstairs, the doctor's sitting with his wife, and he says, you know, wife, I just got from another collector I traded for this great snake. It's a uh, ophiophage. And the wife says, what's a ophiophage? And the doctor says, 
huh, I should divorce you. You don't speak Greek. And the wife says, it's probably one of your stupid snake things, isn't it? He says, yeah, it's a snake that eats another snake. And she says, I wish it would eat all your other snakes. And he's getting mad because he really loves the snakes, right? Which is why he experiments on them. Right. I was being sarcastic. Oh, well, yeah, because he wants, I mean, it, and he's hot. He's got a good heart because he wants them to have clean teeth. And she says something like, oh, it's going to snake charm them, right? And he says, stop talking about snake charming. You know there's no such thing as snake charming. It's annoying when you say that. I guess he doesn't get along with his wife that well. Anyway, they hear this noise from upstairs and they think what a noise upstairs we better run upstairs so they run upstairs and upstairs there's the servants at the door of Druring trying to get in so they all batter down the door and Druring's on the floor dead with foam in his mouth toothpaste probably of course yeah and they say oh no he was brushing his teeth but that got killed at the last minute I wonder if there's anything else in the room that could have killed him okay then he makes a diagnosis Druring died in a fit. That's what killed him. And then he looked around the room and saw in the corner of the room a stuffed toy snake with button eyes. The end. And the moral of the story is... Wait, wait, wait. Don't we, don't we, don't, aren't we supposed to discuss it first? What do you mean? Like, discuss the story before you just go right out and tell the moral. So, uh, this story probably would make more sense without all the toothbrushing. But why would anything make sense without toothbrushing? Because it seems a little additional to me. But Well, I guess you're right. You could just assume it because everybody's always brushing teeth anyway. Uh, well, that's an assumption that you could make. But, so, it's a guy reading about Crazy Snake charming you. Right. And then he dies. He, he drives himself to death. Right. Mentally. Right. Because there's a toy snake in the corner. And it all happened because he was reading this book in the morning instead of brushing his teeth. No, but he, you said he did brush his teeth. After. After. Reading this book that got him crazy. But once you're brushing your teeth. No, I don't. That doesn't mean anything. Look, I don't think that toothbrushing is necessarily involved. What if he's foaming from the mouth from, like, insanity? Then he definitely didn't brush his teeth. Then it's even worse. That's probably why, because he's insane. And anyway, the, you said that he was looking at fangs. Yeah. But th you didn't say the stuffed animal had fangs. Well, I guess it did. <laughs> it must have had if he was looking at them. Okay. Right. Well, well, I just, all I'm saying is this guy was a, was a layabout, was a bum. Right. But a rich bum. And he drove himself. So I guess it's like, this is cautioning you against thinking, really. Well, that's kind of what the moral is. Yeah. You want to hear my moral? Okay. The moral of the story is spend, spend your, your time brushing, brushing your teeth instead, instead of reading. Because if you read stuff, you'll end up reading something that drives you to death. Well, you, you read the story, right? No, Jordan read it to me. Yeah, I read it. Well, but you're not dead is my point. No, I'm, I'm not dead. Well, did you brush your teeth this morning? Uh, no, actually. Oh, I'm getting out of here. Wait, what? No, you don't have to leave. Just, you don't have to leave. I just didn't, I, I woke up late. I forgot. That's disgusting. You gotta brush your teeth every day, possibly every minute. You don't have to maintain proper tooth health. What do you, this is a terrible lesson to anybody listening that somebody who makes the podcast doesn't even brush his teeth. Well, you can't smell my breath over the podcast. True. Anyway, I know you're not dead, but that doesn't mean that's not still the moral. Like, you could have a moral, don't be too proud, or else a tragic end could come to you, and then you could point out to somebody, he's proud and he's not dead, but that doesn't make the moral bad. Well, actually, that that's a better moral for this one. Oh, well, that's kind of the moral, too. But the important thing is, brush your teeth instead of reading stuff and being proud all the time. Don't be too proud to brush your teeth. No, this guy wasn't too proud to brush his teeth. He wasn't like, my teeth are perfect, I don't need to brush. He might have been thinking that. He was sitting there thinking, I don't need to brush my teeth. 
teeth. I'll spend my time reading this book about snakes. And so that's why he's dead. Yes. All right. I'll take your word for it. Thank you. This is me, Harry Wilson, the tooth janitor, here with hairy stories from a janitor in the dark. I'll be back here next week with another hairy story to scare you and remind you to brush your teeth constantly and maintain good tooth health so your breath smells good, your food tastes bad, and your teeth stay there forever. Good night. Well, thank you all for that. That was Scapey Stories from a Cat in the Dark. And this is the point where normally someone would sing a song before listener mail. But you know what? Frank doesn't want me to play my ukulele anymore. So away it goes. No song. No song. Frank Allen, how do you feel about that? I feel great about it. I think it's good. I don't want another song. There's going to be a song at the end of the show as it is. Why should we have a song now? It doesn't make any sense. It's listener mail. It's not song mail. It's just listener. That's what I was trying to point out last week. We don't really need a song. Well, we don't have one. So, uke is down. I can't even, can't even reach it from here. I'd have to bend over to get it. Not gonna. So, hope you're happy. I'm pretty happy, yeah. Good. Well, you know what? Good. You can read the first bit of mail. Frank, go for it. Right. Uh, okay. Uh, to the cast of Cast and Wax, I want to voice my passionate outrage for the recent turn of events on the podcast. The lack of torture on the show as of late has really left a void in my life. I've had to take on additional sessions just to cope. At first, I was upset by Scapey's domination of the boys on the show. Such uninhibited control and abuse is usually something I enjoy thoroughly, which was, in fact, the issue I had with it. How is it that I, Mistress Mayhem, could be chastised so much and yet so little for just the mere mention of the delicious torture on a singular segment of the show? Yet now, like the teases you are, I have become accustomed to being subject to that level of torture in between every segment from the comfort of my own dungeon. Now I am being deprived of that very torture I came to look forward to hearing every week on Cast and Wax. Yes, boys, punish me. Deny me. Do what you will. I will take all that and more or merely writhe with the dissatisfaction of nothing at all. Ignore me and my wishes and you've only granted them all the more. Keep up the good work. Love your captive audience, Mistress Mayhem. Uh, I am a little confused. I am me too. I read it out loud and I still am confused. Did she... Was she... Upset that there's not torture, or is she happy there's not torture because it's torture? Well, she didn't like the torture because it was good. But now she doesn't like the not torture, but she does like the not torture. No, I think she does like the not torture because it's torture. No, but I mean, but it isn't torture, but it was torture to her to hear the torture, which she liked. But now she doesn't like it because it's torture. Well, she said keep up the good work, so. So I suppose we're in the clear. Yeah, I, I, thank, you're, you're welcome. Thanks. Yeah, I think I think so. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, Rory, you want to read the next one? Yes, of course. By the way, it's it's titled Frank Allen is a hack. Dear Frank, I want to point out that you called Alan Thomas Alan Scott on your last Frank Allen interview with Scapey. If you don't even know the facts of the case, how can you expect others to believe you? I didn't kill Alan Thomas or Alan Scott or anybody else. Oh, okay, okay. I can already tell this is from Lynn. And, yes, yes, it is. And look, I, I, it was a mistake. Yes, his name is not Alan Scott. It's Alan Thomas who's the one you killed. There might have been someone else named Alan Scott. I don't know. I'll look it up. And if you killed him, I will expose you. Well, no, she's saying she didn't kill him or anybody else or either of the two, either Alan Thomas or Alan Scott. See, I didn't even know Alan Scott was dead, but 
Perhaps I've I've stumbled onto another mystery. Well, perhaps. Anyway, there's there's more to the letter. So let me read it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Also, it was really unprofessional of you to edit Scapey's comments during that interview. I made a point of sending a link to that podcast to the National Association of Broadcasters so they might hear what an awful, irresponsible hack of a radio host you are. Also, a note to Scapey: you were very naughty, turning everyone into robots and tyrannically taking over the podcast. But I love you and forgive you. Don't let Frank Allen bully you around. He's a huge jerk. I'm conducting my own asshole watch even if it's not officially on the podcast. This week, Frank Allen was a big bully to a tiny adorable cat. I'll give you treaties next time I visit. F*** you, Frank. Lynn. Well, okay, she just swore on the radio. Well, no, technically I did, yes. And it's not the radio as well. It's a podcast. Right, okay, well, she's trying to make a swear happen. The point is, I and Scape's not here to hear that, which is good. No, that is good, because I don't want him to think it was actually good to, to be bad. He's, I mean, she loves him and forgives him, and I love him, and I, I will find it in my heart to forgive him eventually, but I don't want to encourage him. No, you don't want to encourage him. And, and I'm not a hack of a radio host, by the way, because I did edit him a little bit, but it was just to, to take the wind out of his sails. Sometimes people need wind taken out of their sails because their sails are too big, and his sail was too big. Right, right. I can understand that. So, no song still. Didn't hear any songs still, unfortunately. Well, we're about to hear a song, aren't we? Yeah, I guess I'll play a song, I suppose, um, now that the podcast is over. But uh, I will remind everybody first, if they'd like to write into us at castandwax at gmail.com, we are always open to it. Next week, we have some email from the past to read to Scapey. But please send us some more. We always like getting email. So thank you very much for listening. And uh, say goodbye, everybody. Bye. Goodbye. And uh, we leave you with Waxwork female on the uke. Be seeing you. Walking through the forest with you has been a dream Seeing all the beauty in this world Every bird and squirrel Climbing trees and laughing Throwing rocks in a stream so much more we could do, girl Let's shoot up heroin and Walk out in the sunshine Because happiness and sunbeams Make me smile Such a good time And I haven't cooked a spoonful in a while Philosophical
Typical about God's design As his liquid love runs through our veins Let's shoot up heroin and Lay up by the water While our minds expand to fill the entire sky On guard duty, we learn the secret origin of the Earth Guard. So I thought if only there was some sort of organization that could work simultaneously, both to act against larger threats to the innocent people of planet Earth and to protect the interests of those heroes who put themselves at risk, and that's when I started the Earth Guard. Well, I, I would have thought it would be a little more interesting than that. And on Debatatorium, my future father-in-law, Thomas Alva Edison, makes an incredible appearance arguing the superiority of vanilla. I'm not sure what sort of ambiguous, identity, void, chocolate, vanilla world my opponents live in, but here in reality, or as I like to call it, Edison, we do things a little differently. Did you invent reality? No, I patented it. Oh, what patent number? One. Plus, you get to learn about the incredibly important day in history that features this line. Boy, it's funny that we can fit 300 clowns in this one car. Plus, a scapy story, perhaps, coming your way on July 6th on the website waxwork.com. Come.